had a very um, maybe low self-esteem, I guess you could say. Uh, I was really shy. I was really introverted, and I still am introverted and somewhat shy sometimes. But <clears throat> I, I, you know, I kind of felt disconnected and and kind of apart from most people in general. Uh, not all the time, but most of the time, I would say. And I remember the first time I got high, not the first time I smoked it, because the first time I smoked it, it, I actually got really paranoid and it didn't really do much for me. But the, but the second time I, when I actually really felt it, what I really, I kind of realized now or even back then was that feeling of disconnection that had kind of been in my heart my whole life kind of disappeared. And and I felt a part of at last. I felt uh, like I could I could make friends. I could enjoy life better. Um, really, it, to me, it was the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> That's the way I described it. And actually, since I've gone through the steps and uh, and when I've taken people through our workbook, uh, the f the first step in the workbook has a lot of really great questions. Uh, by the way. Um, around the first step. And one of them asks you to describe how, what pot was like the first time or something along those lines. And almost every marijuana addict I've ever asked, they described it the same way, that it was just the greatest thing in the world. Um, later on in the workbook, it, it mentions, uh, when did pot, pot turn on you or how was it like in the end, you know? And it was obviously totally different. Uh, otherwise I wouldn't really be here probably. Uh, so. So I really hit the ground running, you know, right off the bat, I uh, I wouldn't really say that I was to the point where I had lost control over marijuana, uh, at least not within the first six months, but probably after six months, and this was in the ninth grade, um, I, had, I had pretty much already lost control over marijuana. So I'd already uh, become powerless over it. it. It had become my higher power, in other words. Uh, However, that wasn't a problem at the time. That was the solution to my problems. And I loved it. I mean, I loved every minute of it uh, until I stopped loving it. But, but basically, it, yeah, it really took over my life. And I, I immediately started doing things that prior to getting high, I wouldn't have ever really done. Um, you know, I started stealing from my mom. I would steal money out of her purse to get high. I would... Um, if if my parents would give me money for gas once I got a car, I would go and steal gas. Uh, back when, back then, you could actually fill up your tank without having to prepay. Uh, so I would steal gas and use the money for pot. Uh, later on, once I got out of high school and got my own place, I would <clears throat> instead of you know paying for the electricity, I'd I'd uh, use all my money on getting high. And it wasn't just pot for me, uh, but pot was kind of like the the constant thing in my life. You know, from the time I woke up in the morning to the time I went to sleep, eventually that's that's how I got. Uh, so it was already making, so one of the ways that I like to think about powerlessness is marijuana made me do things that I wouldn't otherwise normally do. Um, it had control over me when I would do it. Um, you know, I would I would violate my own values, my own ethics. 
uh, just just to obtain it, <laughs> uh, which is, is so funny because when I first got started, you know, I didn't even, when I first started using, I didn't even think of that, that, you know, I was violating my own values, but I was. And, um, and it, but it didn't really matter because as long as I was high, nothing really mattered in the world. You know, I felt free. I felt happy. I felt joyous. Uh, I didn't have the fear of other people and I could, uh, just enjoy my life, even though, all the things that I was interested in prior to getting high, um, I didn't really pursue those anymore. Uh, I was had aspirations of being a musician. I kind of threw out that that out the window. Uh, I was uh, really good in school. I had, you know, I was like an honor student in school uh, and had a lot of potential. But as soon as I started smoking, you know, that all kind of went out the window as well. So. <clears throat> Fast forward, you know, I know this is a marijuana anonymous meeting, but I've just got to tell my story the way it is. And there was a lot of other drugs involved. Um, when, so that feeling that I first had when I first got high, what I realize now is I was always chasing that and never quite able to recapture it unless I found some new substance or some new combination of different substances that would enable me to experience that. And, and then, you know, I might experience it once or twice and then I, I was back to chasing this uh, experience, uh, which to me in a way that experience actually is a spiritual experience. Uh, however, it's a, you know, it's, it, it's just being pursued in the wrong way. So, <clears throat> So, you know, I started doing all sorts of psychedelics. I started doing coke. I eventually got to doing crack and, and got really into the rave scene. I moved to Denver, Colorado, and I was just like, just really partying a lot. And uh, eventually uh, I got to the point where, you know, I couldn't even hold down a job. I was only I was delivering pizzas and I couldn't even hold down a pizza delivery job. You know, I'd get fired or I'd quit. Uh, I would always get jobs that were that people were okay with me smoking, or you know they just wouldn't say it. And 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 I was so delusional that I actually had this idea that as long as I never went to work sober, my boss would never know that I'm high, <laughs> which uh, is obviously ridiculous because everyone knew I was high. Uh, but this is kind of the the way the disease of delusion works. Uh, so eventually, I kind of just. things started kind of crashing down, you know, I started like racking up tons of debt. Uh, I was just like careless, didn't really have a clue what I was doing with my life. Uh, and, and I started just f feeling miserable. And I knew I was, part of me knew that, you know, my life sucked, but at the same time, like I never really like consciously thought it had anything to do with all the drugs I was doing. <laughs> you know, it was just, it just had to do with me not being able to get it together, me not being able to do anything. I, I had kind of had this gnawing question, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And <clears throat> so I eventually got to a point where I, I was actually living on Colfax in a crack motel. Um, 
just really down and out and and just not really knowing what to do i was i was just miserable all the time i was getting high from the time i wake up till the time i go to sleep doing lots of different things and and so i hit bottom actually when i really hit bottom i actually got arrested one night um I was squatting at this guy's house or this lady's actually this lady's house. And uh, she was letting me stay there because I didn't pay my electricity bill again. Uh, and so she was letting me stay at her house because she, had, <laughs> she wasn't living there at the time and I could stay there. And uh, anyway, the cops came over to our house and uh, found a bunch of drugs and money. Uh, luckily they didn't find anything on me, but they did arrest me because I had a drug paraphernalia charge. Uh, I often kind of now looking at that, if that would have happened nowadays, I might not have hit bottom as soon as I did, because now it's legal there. But anyway, um, uh, that hitting bottom and getting arrested was actually a beautiful thing for me. But I just kind of realized that night in jail, um, I kind of had a spiritual awakening, um, not sufficient to really keep me sober, um, but I had a moment of clarity where I just really realized that, you know, my life was kind of going down the toilet and, and I I realized that there is a higher power. Uh, I had actually had spiritual experiences before earlier in life when I, when my parents took me to church, although I really couldn't accept most of the stuff that they'd said in church because it didn't really line up with my spiritual experience of God. But I had I had that an experience of my higher power in jail, basically, and and I had kind of a renewed commitment to change my life, and so I got out of jail and I was just like super committed to, uh, especially to stop selling drugs because I was kind of selling them at the time. I wasn't good at it because I'd use them all, but I was selling it. I was using a lot. And I had made a decision I was going to stop doing drugs and stop selling drugs. However, at the time, in my mind, marijuana was not a drug. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, you know, and actually something about that rock bottom experience, I actually was able to stop doing all that stuff. Um, I may have had a, one little slip on it, um, but I actually was able to stop doing the kind of the harder stuff and I did stop selling it. And here's another example of the delusion, delusional thinking. I, uh, you know, part of my moment of clarity was that I really needed to stop selling drugs or I was going to end up living in a jail cell. But, but, you know, marijuana is not a drug, but even though it was illegal to grow it and manufacture it and sell it, I didn't really stop doing that. So anyway, that just kind of shows you the mind that I had. Um, but I was able to stop everything. Uh, and I, and and actually, in a way, marijuana actually helped me stop all that other stuff because I was growing it. And every time I wanted to get high on something else, I would just smoke and I would smoke and I would smoke. And after about six months of this, well, maybe it was a year. I got just as miserable off of off of smoking pot as I did off of crack and cocaine and things like that. 
And <laughs> it, it always cracks me up when people t- will say that marijuana is not addictive uh, because, it, you know, for them, it's probably not. Uh, actually, I heard in a meeting once, uh, this lady said, it doesn't really matter whether marijuana is addictive or not. What matters is whether I'm addictive or not. And, uh, and I really resonated with that. But it just cracks me up because, like, I got just as miserable and just as low and feeling just so not myself and not and non-functional. Um, you know, a lot of people in mar- marijuana, and by the way, when you go into a marijuana meeting, a marijuana anonymous meeting or any 12-step meeting, they say to look at the similarities but not the differences. So I know in the literature, and I've sponsored a lot of people, there's a lot of people that um, – functioned a lot better than I did. So don't let my story interfere with seeing, uh, you know, how you relate. But I was very non-functional, even off the marijuana. I mean, uh, there at the end, uh, well, actually, let me not fast forward that far yet. But but basically, I was (laughs) non-functional. For most of the time, I was non-functional. I couldn't really, like, go to school. I couldn't really do the things that normal people do. Um, I, I would just smoke all the time. Even if I woke up in the middle of the night um, to use the restroom, I'd have to light up a bowl. Um, I just couldn't manage anything. So, <clears throat> so like I said, I got I got really miserable, and I kind of had the same type of moment of clarity around marijuana. I just kind of realized, like, wow, I got to stop doing this. Um, you know, I can't keep doing this and that's that's a big part of step one is realizing that i can't keep smoking like this you know and i'm sure anyone that's here who has decided to come here obviously you have um has had some kind of moment of clarity like that and for me it's so important to keep that in my mind um that 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 that's really a huge motivating factor because <clears throat> what I've found is that sometimes when people forget that uh, experience that they had or that moment of clarity, it's easy to uh, forget what you know what I need to do in order to stay here, so I don't go back to that place and have to have that moment of clarity over and over again <clears throat> because it's it's easy to do that you know we can hit bottom over and over again. I believe that with the tools of the program, we don't have to, um, but it, you know, it can and does happen. So, so after I had this moment of clarity, I just, I decided once my crop's done, you know, I'm going to stop. And I did. I stopped. I got rid of all my grow equipment. I moved back to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, I had actually inherited some money from my grandfather dying. And uh, I, somehow I stayed sober. Uh, Actually, I had really, part of how I stayed sober is I was, I was actually very interested in spirituality before I came to the 12 steps, like meditation. And I was really interested in like Eastern spiritual teachings and things like that. So I stayed sober for about eight or nine months. Uh, I was meditating a lot. I was reading all sorts of spiritual books. Um, 
most of all, well, not most of all, but in a lot of ways, I was also just avoiding uh, everyone and everything. I wasn't really making new friends or new connections with people. I was just, I moved back to Lubbock. None of my friends in Lubbock for the whole time that I was there were sober. I, you know, I think we read in that, those questions, those 12 questions that we asked, you know, do you pick your friends based on your pot smoke or something like that? Um, that, that was definitely me right from, from the first time I got high until the last time, uh, all my friends were based on, you know, whether they got high or not. I didn't really want to hang out with normal people. Uh, so, so I was actually able to stay sober and actually during that time period, I began to have even more of a spiritual awakening um, and becoming more aware of my higher power, the divine presence within me. Uh, And, you know, I really started to realize how amazing my life could be uh, during that time period. And about nine months into it, a friend of mine called me up. I had a couple other friends over. Uh, oh, also, I will mention this. I During that nine months, I actually got back into playing music, which I had I didn't do the whole time I, I uh, got high. Um, I started playing music with my little brother, and I kind of started a group, and we were getting out and doing stuff. And, and then a friend of mine came over. Uh, I had actually even been around pot smoke a a couple times during this time period uh and my friend came over I was like yeah I'm sure I'll be fine you know I've I've been around it before um yeah you can come over I knew that they were going to be smoking but I had no plan on partaking in it (laughs) well they passed the joint around once they passed it around twice I refused it two times on the third time around the joint came my way And the thought arose in my mind, now that I have the peace of God, I can smoke a little bit. (laughs) I could just do it tonight. You know, God wants me to have a good time. And so I did. And then, uh, and then immediately after taking the first puff, I thought, oh, I don't know if that was a good idea. (laughs) And, uh, Anyway, the next the next morning, that craving uh, to smoke was so intense. I was like looking for pot on the carpet. Uh, when my brother left, I went into his room and searched searched through his room trying to find pot. Uh, and it became my higher power again immediately. I was powerless over marijuana. It controlled me. I was a slave to marijuana. It's a really great story on the back of the book called Slave to Marijuana. And that was exactly my experience. Uh, So this this went on for about another year and a half uh, after that first relapse. I I haven't relapsed since I've been in in MA and the 12 steps. But I've definitely relapsed many times uh, since I've been trying to stay sober. Uh, and so I would, I would, during that time period, I would, I would smoke until I couldn't smoke anymore. And then I would stay sober until I couldn't stay sober anymore. And this was, um, 
I would start feeling a little bit better and then I'd have some some thought like the thought I just described to you, which I now know is an obsession of the mind that leads a marijuana addict to the first hit. And, and the way it manifests for me is now that I've stayed sober for a while, I can control it. You know, now that I have the peace of God, whatever, you know, I have this thought, I can probably do it. I can do a little bit. And I do a little bit, maybe that one night, and then the next day I'm back to the races, smoking all day, every day. Even though I didn't get back into the hard stuff, I didn't need to. You know, my disease had progressed enough to where um, it, marijuana was all it took to completely ruin my life and completely control me. Um, so, and, and, and this happened over and over again. I now know through working the steps that that thought that leads me to the first hit is, was one of the primary issues of, of being powerless over marijuana. I was powerless over that thought coming in. I would believe it, even though my own experience shows that that thought is a complete and total lie in the moment. I don't, I didn't realize it was a lie. It sounded good. Yeah. You know, it sounds great. But in my mind, the way my mind works, uh, especially when I'm not in recovery, I will believe that lie over and over again. It's a dilute, it's a state of delusional thinking uh, is the way I understand this disease. And then once I smoke pot, a phenomenon of craving sets in and I lose control over the amount I smoke. So that lasted about a year and a half. What's interesting during my studies, you know, I mentioned that I'd read all sorts of spiritual books. I mean, I read a lot <laughs> uh, during that year or whatever it was, nine months. Uh, I just read so much. Uh, didn't really apply a whole lot of it. Some of it was useful. Um, but I, I'd heard of the 12 steps. I'd heard of AA. I'd heard of MA. I'd even looked up MA at the time. They didn't have MA in Lubbock. Um, I met a friend who was an AA. And, you know, I, I told him that I was, I was really having trouble. And I was, you know, uh, kept staying sober for sometimes just a couple days, sometimes for one day, and then going back out. And he was like, well, you can come to AA for pot. And I was like, really? That sounds kind of weird. <laughs> well, so I did go to AA. I didn't really get a whole lot out of it that first meeting. Um, probably because I smoked before the meeting and the whole time I was thinking about how I was going to smoke when I left. But uh, it, it did kind of give me a little bit of hope. And then um, I think the last time was was really, I had really had enough. I was really just done. Uh, and it, that's a question I usually ask when I've sponsored people. Um, are you done? I usually ask people, are you done for good and for all? It's just one day at a time. But it, for me, it also has to be for good and for all, because if I stay sober today and I smoke pot tomorrow, uh, in my own experience, it, it feels like I've lost everything, even though you don't really lose everything. It's not that, you know, whatever growth you've had is still there. But in my own experience, if I smoke today, um, it, it would just be horrible. So, so I, I actually ended up going to Narcotics Anonymous, and I really liked it. Uh, 
the first thing some guy told me was, you know, just stay sober, uh, go to a meeting every day, stay sober in between. And that was really, that was really good because in the meeting, at least when I was in the meeting, I felt a little relief from that obsession, um, that constant obsession to get high and, and the conflict of knowing that I had to stay away from it. Oh, also, I wanted to mention one thing. When I went to that first NA meeting, I, I looked at the steps. I'd seen the steps before, but I really looked at it and read over step one. And that really answered the question for me that I, had kind of plagued me for a long time. What is wrong with me? Um, why can't I get it together? Why can't I seem to do the things that I want to do in my life? Um, well, step one was, to me, really the answer to that. I'm powerless over marijuana. My life had become unmanageable. Um, that was a huge revelation uh, to, to finally resolve that question <laughs> uh, was really important. So uh, a few about a month into uh, coming to NA, uh, or maybe just a few weeks, I was really obsessing about smoking pot. Um, it was Actually, yeah, maybe it was only about maybe it was only a week uh, because I got sober on December 18th, and I think this was on the 24th of December. So I remember I was talking. It was I was talking at the meeting about it being the holidays and how I always would get high with my brother and sister on the holidays, and I was just constantly thinking about it. And uh, this guy stayed after the meeting and talked to me for a minute, and um, you know he he reached out to me and carried the message to me in a, in a in a way. And basically all he told me was, you know, why don't you try when that, when that desire, when that thought to use marijuana or to, you know, to use comes up, why don't you ask your higher power to remove it? And, uh, I had never really done that before. Uh, but I was like, okay, all right, I can do that. And, and he even said, and I don't really care if you believe in it or not, just try it anyway. <laughs> and that's what I love about this program. You know, it's not really like a belief system. It's something that we do. It's a program of action and we get to test it and see if it works uh, rather than just, you know, saying, oh, believe this way. Uh, he was just saying, why don't you try this practice? So I did try it. And, I, and, and consequently, I was praying all the time because I thought about pot all the time. So, but it helped. It helped a lot, actually. And uh, I asked that guy to be my sponsor. We started working through the steps. Uh, and I really started feeling a lot better, especially by the time I got to step five. Once I had done step five, that was when I really feel like that obsession to, to get high really left. Um, once I had really kind of shared all this stuff that I've been holding on to, all the resentments and fears and and uh, and character defects, and you know, really made an honest attempt for the first time uh, to do something about all that, I really felt a huge change. And I, and I remember since then, you know, I've, I've definitely been tempted to smoke pot since then. Uh, however not very much and the temptation is not that strong like it used to be and also when the temptation comes up now i see it more clearly for what it is that it's crazy 
for me to smoke pot, it's like saying, um, uh, an example is like, you know, if you went down, if, if, if somebody went down a, um, a particular trail and last time they went down a trail, they got attacked by a bunch of bears and every time, and, and it's known that if you go down this trail, you're going to get attacked by a bunch of bears. Well, for me and smoking pot, it's like, okay, well, I know I got attacked last time, got hurt last time, but I, I might as well do it again. <laughs> you know, that to me is what the insanity that we're trying to be relieved from is about, you know, and I, I had to realize that that's insane. It's insane for me to think that I can smoke just a little bit of pot, even though I had thousands of experiences showing that I was never able, able to control it. Maybe I could control it every now and then for a day or two but I would always lose control sooner or later. And so I had to be, you know, I had to become aware. Uh, I had to be willing to believe that God could restore me to sanity. You know, that's step two. Uh, <clears throat> making a decision to turn my will and my life over to God was also very important, obviously. Um, that I still have to do every day. <laughs> on it, uh, to be 100% honest, I will still try to control and run the show over and over again. You know, I'll wake up in the at the beginning of the day, turn my life over to God, and then the next moment, I'm trying to control someone or something. So that's to me, that's a constant. Uh, but but I will say this: <laughs> there are also long stretches of time where I don't try to control and don't try to run the show and feel an enormous sense of peace and freedom and serenity in my life. And that is so important, or it's, that's such a huge difference because prior to taking step three, uh, that's all I did. You know, that's all I did. <laughs> I was a victim. I blamed everyone, tried to control others, uh, and uh, it didn't work, you know, it doesn't work. So, so letting go and turning things over is um, super relieving. And it's actually, it's easier than we might think. It, the, the hard part is just not taking it back, <laughs> which I think is, is habitual. But anyway, that that obsession to to use less and and you know I went I went through the rest of the steps. I made amends and making amends, especially to my parents, uh, was really good to be restored to them. Um, prior to making amends, me and my dad, we just really basically had no relationship anymore. And I had a wonderful relationship with my dad growing up. I loved my dad and still do. But um, that was really good. And yeah, I was already in the meditation as i mentioned so step 11 has kind of been a constant thing throughout my recovery it was already there before being in recovery uh so after i had a couple of years in the program i moved to austin and i was super excited that they had an na meeting uh and when i got there there was only two people at the ma meeting <laughs> And, but I was just so happy because uh, I loved AA, I loved NA. Um, but here's one thing I noticed about MA and NA. Uh, 
nothing, I'm not criticizing them at all. Uh, this is my own experience. When I go into an MA, uh, an NA or an AA meeting, it's really easy for me to look around the room and be like, oh, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And then all of a sudden I start thinking, oh, well, maybe I'm really not an addict. Maybe I don't really need this. And, uh, and now I, I know that that's my disease talking right there. Uh, but what I love about MA is that that's never really happened for me. Every time I go to an MA meeting, I relate so much with what the people say and the people share that I don't have that looking for the differences like I do in, in other fellowships, even though I relate with them too. But, uh, I you know, and that's to me what the primary purpose is so important is that to find a, a fellowship where I really relate it really in increased my recovery big time. I got super involved. Um, I started chairing meetings. Uh, we started an H&I fellowship. Uh, we <clears throat> eventually, it was, in an, it was actually at an AA clubhouse where we had the MA meeting. And uh, eventually the meeting got so big that we, <laughs> we ended up having to move. Um, although not quite as many people came once we moved. But uh, anyway, the, the meeting just was, it was just so wonderful. It was so fun to watch uh, the fellowship grow and people get sober and people, so many people would come to the MA meeting. They were like, wow, I didn't even know they had this. This is so cool. I love this. I mean, I liked going to other meetings, but I really liked relate to this even more and uh, made a lot of great friends. And we, like I said, we started doing H and I, we would take meetings to the uh, uh, treatment centers around Austin. And I loved doing that. It was so, it was so much fun. And there wasn't really, every now and then I would find somebody there that was there primarily just for getting high. Um, most of the time though, what I really liked about going there is after we would share our stories, so many people, I mean, some people were just rolling our eyes at us the whole time, <laughs> but uh, some people would walk up to us after the meeting and say, you know, prior to listening to, to you guys speak, um, you know, I really thought when I got out of here, I'm probably just going to, I'm going to stop doing everything else, but I'm going to keep smoking, you know, but after listening to you, I realized that I can't do that, you know, and to me, that's really cool, you know, I mean, I'm not like, I'm, I'm personally not against others using drugs if that's what they want to do. However, I am interested in sharing the message of recovery. Um, so, it, it, it was just such a beautiful thing. If you ever have an opportunity to do it, I highly recommend it. But, um, you know, my life is just so much different now today than it was, uh, you know, almost, almost 14 years ago. It's crazy. Um, the fact that I could be sober today, 14 years is truly a miracle. I mean, I can't even describe it to you. Um, how grateful I am for that. And, <clears throat> You know, I've learned to love myself. I've learned to forgive myself. Sometimes I'm still super harsh on myself, um, but I've actually learned to love myself. And, um, you know, and that happened because a lot of people loved me when I came here. Uh, there's a saying, you know, let us love you until you learn how to love yourself. Well, that's totally true. And uh, I've learned how to be a better friend to people. I've learned how to be a true friend and really be there for people. I've learned how to actually help others instead of just trying to, you know, fix people, <laughs> which I could definitely do that. Sometimes I still do, but I can actually be of service here and actually 
uh, help others in a way that's true and and compassionate and a, a great thing to be a part of. Uh, you know, and I did today. I didn't think about smoking pot all day. Um, I guess until this meeting, I'm thinking about when I used to do it, but I, I haven't didn't think about it. You know, I woke up, I went with my daughter. We got to go uh, kayaking on the Verde River in uh, Clarkdale. I live in a beautiful area. I actually own my own home. I'm not living in a crack house. I'm not, sometimes I do get waves of depression because of other issues, um, but not in the way that I did when I was getting high. And I always know that there's a way out. And this, I do want to mention this. <clears throat> Life is not easy. Recovery is not easy. Doing these steps are not easy. Um, so I applaud everyone's courage uh, for being here and showing up. Um, it's super important. Um, you know, my, my journey through the last four, uh, 13 years, 14 years has definitely been ups and downs and I've gone through really difficult experiences and I've gone through extremely super blissful ecstatics experiences too. And, <clears throat> but the one thing that I know is from the time I got through the to the rooms up until this point during all those trials and all those wonderful things, I have a higher power in my life that's there all the time. Um, it, it, and my higher power, you know, I do have a higher power, I call it God, but also my higher power is this fellowship. And that's, that's really, to me, what helps me stay sober the most. And it's always here, you know, it's not like here 24-7. And I can always go to a meeting. I can always reach out to somebody. I can do a 10th step if something's bothering me and I can connect. So I always have a power that I didn't have before I got here. Before I got into MA, I basically had to use, you know, or before I got into AA, I guess I should say, because I didn't get an MA until two years later. But, uh, you know, you get the point. Before I got here, I had to use. Sooner or later, I had to use. Even though I had all these spiritual experiences, I ended up using. And that's because I didn't have something that could keep me away from it. I didn't have a sufficient uh, power that would help me, you know. So um, if there's any newcomers that just want to, you know, just mention this, you know, they get really connected to the fellowship. Um, you know, these meetings, go to as many meetings as you can. Get a sponsor, start talking to people, especially if you want to, if you feel like you need to use. Early on, that's so important. I used to call people all the time. Oh, man, I think I'm going to use. And somebody would be like, well, why don't you come over here instead? You know what? It's so much easier to stay sober if you, if you call somebody up and they're like, hey, why don't you come over to my house instead? And it's like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it works, uh, you know, but it only works if you work it. You know, if I just stay at my house and think I'm going to do this all by myself, it's probably not going to work too well. Um, but over time, that obsession will leave. So, I, you know, I don't ever call anybody because I want to use anymore because it doesn't really happen too much. <laughs> but, you know, if it did, I would. But um, I think I'm getting close on my time. Uh, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is that, you know, today I have a power in my life that is seeing me through everything. And that makes a, the, a complete world of difference. I went through hell uh, prior to getting in the, in the program and I've been through hell in recovery. But when I go through hell with power greater than myself, 
it's totally different and it's worth it because I can grow and I can, I can become a stronger person in the process, you know? And, uh, and I think that's what life is all about to me now. Whereas life, I didn't even know what life was about before coming here because I'd never really thought about it or looked at it. But I really believe that, you know, this journey that we're on is a journey of spiritual growth for everyone. It's just luckily uh, through the message that I was given. Now I realize that that's what life is about for me. So um, I'm super grateful. Thanks Marianne for having me come and share and, Thank you all for listening, and uh, that's it. God bless you all. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. And if you joined in um, during Brian's share, that was Brian from Arizona, and he shared a story with us tonight. Thank you very much.